Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Morning. Lovely to see you. Hope you've had a, a good summer. Has it been summer? Not sure. <laughs> Have we missed it? We're, um, yeah, we're in summer in the Psalms. I think, is this the last one? Probably? One more. One more after that. Take summer into September. And um, I was asked to, to choose a psalm that meant a lot to me. And I've chosen Psalm 51. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 51. And we're looking at... Um, yeah, this, this balance between God's justice and God's mercy uh, as we look into Psalm 51. Um, if it's okay, I just want to tell you a little bit about my, my journey and why Psalm 51 is so important to me or has become really important to me. So um, as you can probably guess from my accent, um, hopefully I'm not taking on too much an English accent because I've been here over 30 years, but you could probably still tell that I'm, that I'm American. Um, so I was brought up most of my life in Florida. Yeah, anyone from Florida? No. Um, and I didn't come from a Christian home. Um, the only time the name of Jesus was spoken was in a curse word, probably. And um, I didn't really, I, I guess I didn't really even think about God. Um, even coming from America, where church and religion is like as American as like you know apple pie and those sorts of things, it, or baseball, you know, Christianity is so ingrained in our culture, and yet I really had no thought about God or or spiritual things or religion or faith um, as a kid. And then it came into my teenage years started smoking an awful lot of cannabis and experimenting with drugs, and particularly LSD. And, and through LSD, basically, I came to realize that there must be a God. Now, this is not a way that I recommend finding <laughs> Jesus through LSD, so that's a disclaimer right off the bat. Um, but it did kind of open up through this kind of mind-expanding drug, um, to realize that there was something greater than me. I didn't know what it was or how I could find it. <clears throat> I really, you know, I think through those days I had, I had this kind of strong sense that there was an ultimate truth. You know, that, that, that truth wasn't relative. I believe that there was one truth, an ultimate truth, and I just needed to find it. I just needed to find out what that truth was. Um, and yet, Christianity or Jesus never really came into my thinking. I thought it must be much more mystical than that. And so I looked through kind of Eastern, Eastern philosophies, and, um, you know, my Bible was a book called Be Here and Now by, by a guru in, um, who had come to know, come to his faith through LSD as well, uh, Richard Albert, along with Timothy Leary. And, you know, so it was all about kind of how mystical um, and how complicated things had to be before I found God. 
And then um, something happened. My mother, who wasn't a Christian, she, she came to faith. And um, she used to leave the Bible open on the coffee table, strategically opened at John chapter 3 with verse 16 kind of underlined. You know, and, and I'd pick up the Bible whenever I'd go and see my mother, and I'd try and read it, and I just didn't get it. You know, I just didn't understand these stories about Jesus and the parables, and, and um, maybe I had to go through an awful lot, but I, um, you know, I got mixed up in, in a lot of drug taking and drug dealing. Uh, I was living in Miami, and I, I'd escaped all of that, and I moved over to the west coast of Florida, where I had lived previously. And I bumped into this friend of mine when I was in the shops. And he said to me, you know, Rob, you know, I've come to know Jesus. And I was like, what? You're crazy. This is, you know, we used to do drugs together. We used to party together. And he goes, no, I've found a new way of living. And he invited me to his house for this Bible study. And, of course, I turned him down. Kind of part of me wanted to know. Part of me didn't want to know. But eventually, yeah, long story short, I went to, to his home, and I really couldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe back then. I don't have any photographs, but I used to have really long hair. I was a bit of a hippie. And um, there were guys in this house who were just like me, you know, who had come from the same background as me, not those young, kind of short-haired, kind of smart-looking Baptist guys that my mom would send around to the house to try and get me to go to church. But these guys were, you know... There was something different about them. You know, they'd gone through the struggles and temptations that I'd gone through and, and life experiences. And, and so I just remember at this Bible study, just sitting on the floor um, and listening to people um, just express what God meant to them, what Jesus meant to them, and how God had spoken to, it, to them through his word. And, you know, something clicked in me, and I just thought, this is it. This is, this is what I've been looking for. It was as much the community and God's people as it was the Holy Spirit kind of also convicting me. Um, and I started going to this little Pentecostal church near where I lived. It was a short walk from where I lived across this field. And I went to this church um, one Sunday evening. I sat at the back, you know, I listened to the worship and the sermon. And just at the last hymn, I decided I'd leave. And I went out the, the door, and I went around the side of the church to the back of the church. And I started across this field to where I live. And I got about halfway across this field. And just feeling burdened by my sin. Just feeling overwhelmed by it. And not only, my, not only the sins that I'd committed, because I'd done some really shameful things in my life, but... You know, also the sin that had been committed against me, the stuff that people had done to me through my childhood and through my upbringing, you know, and I came to the point halfway across that field where I just fell on my knees. I just fell on my knees, and, you know, I cried out to God. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't have the words. But the only words that really came to my mouth were, help, help. And so I just cried out, help. God, God, if you are there, because I'm not really even sure God, God was real at that point, but I cried out to him. And you know what? I know something happened in my life, something supernatural, something really big. My, my heart was changed. 
And I know it was there that I became a follower of Jesus. I became born again um, of God's Spirit. And, you know, I, I started just doing what Christians do. started reading the Bible and discovering as God took the scales from my eyes, you know, new things and fresh things that God had in store for me. And, and thankfully, through those years, I had a mentor who, who understood how important, you know, confession and, you know, these disciplines of confession and repentance and, you know, were as a foundation to my Christian life. And my mentor passed these things on to me. And, and one thing that he got me to do was, you know, to memorize Scripture. And um, he gave me Psalm 51 um, to memorize. And... Um, and I, the way that I memorized it is I used to drive a truck. I, I drove this truck and I delivered bottled water around Bradenton and Sarasota, Florida, where I lived. And so I'd, I'd, write, I'd write the scripture, I wrote the psalm on like these um, cards. And um, I would put them on my visor and I'd just kind of flip down my visor, learn a portion of the psalm, flip it up again, you know, read it memorize it, flip it up, and repeat it. And I just kept doing that until I, I memorized Scripture. I think it's a really good way of memorizing Scripture and getting it inside you so it becomes kind of food to you and nourishment to you. And I did that, as I say, with um, Psalm 51. And it's, it's something which I've tried to, you know, um, yeah, kind of instill in my own life, just um, this discipline of confession and repentance. And so Psalm 51 begins with, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had sinned with Bathsheba. So along with Psalm 32, Psalm 51 was written by David after his affair. After his affair, or some say rape, of Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah in 2 Samuel chapter 11, chapter 12. Um, yeah, do you, if you're not familiar with the story, do go back there um, and, and read that. And it's one of what are called the penitential psalms of repentance, which includes Psalm 6. Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. So, throughout history, church fathers and um, Bible scholars have classified individual psalms into various categories, um, you know, according to the content, their theme, the structure of the psalm. And one of those groupings is called the penitential psalms. So in them, the psalm writer, in this case David, um, is expressing his deep sorrow over sin and his spiritual failure. In these psalms, David fully acknowledges how horrendous his sin has been against God, and he comes to God um, to seek forgiveness. So, um, yeah, let, let me read uh, Psalm 51 to you, and um, I'm reading from the um, English Standard Version, so hopefully we'll have that on the screen. Um, 
So the psalm begins, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inmost being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of, my, of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a, a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burn offerings and whole burn offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So as I said, you know, this psalm, is a classic example in God's Word of revealing the righteous um, justice of God over sin and also His mercy, His forgiveness and restoration, which enable us to have a, a relationship with God. And I think it's re this is really important to, for us to understand this morning that, um, that because um, having a right view of God means that we understand this perfect balance between justice and mercy. So in God's eyes, David was a man after his own heart, but that doesn't mean that David always made the right choices in his life. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, David chose to ignore God's word, and he took another man's wife, Bathsheba, then to make Sure, he didn't get caught. He arranged for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to be killed in battle. David clearly had forgotten that God was watching. And perhaps he did, and he just willfully sinned. Then David's faithful friend, the prophet Nathan, confronts David about his sin. And to his credit, 
He doesn't make excuses. He confesses his sin, and he seeks forgiveness. You know, thank God for faithful friends. Amen? Thank God for, for friends who will speak truth to us. Thank God for friends who will call us out when things aren't right in our lives and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, thank God for, for David's friend, Nathan, who called him out. So David's prayer in Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance. But what, what is repentance? You know, it's, it's one of those theological words. It's a word that Jesus used. It's a word that Paul used quite a lot. Peter used in the Bible. What does it mean to repent of our sins? Well, um, core Christianity, um, it defines it this way. It says, repentance is turning away from sin and self and looking to God for forgiveness and salvation. The Old Testament uses the word turn or turning to describe repentance. Those who repent turn their backs on their sin and come around to seek God. Repentance is the conviction of guilt before God and the awareness that we are stained and in need of cleansing. This isn't something we do, but is something God works in us. Like faith, it is necessary, but given to us, not worked by us. Rather, God works in us an inward acknowledgement of guilt, which causes us to shrink away in our dirtiness before his perfect and holy character. So it's important. That's a really great definition, isn't it? Really comprehensive. But it's important to remember that true repentance isn't just turning away from sin, not just turning away from, from doing wrong, because anyone can do that. It's turning to God. It's, it's not turning over a new leaf. It's not making a New Year's resolution, because... Nine times out of ten, those things never work, do they? They just don't. Sometimes they do, but, but probably never. Um, for about ten years, I was a prison chaplain in HMP Brixton, not, not far from here. And, you know, I'd meet so many guys, you know, in prison, like the day before their release or the morning of the release on their way to reception, ready to go through the gate, kind of carrying all their stuff, and I'd bump into them. You know, I'd wish them all the best, and they said, you know, chaplain, you're not going to see me again. You know, this is it. I've had enough. I've kind of experienced prison, and that's enough. I'm not coming back. I've got plans to do this, that, the other. And then six months later, there they were, back in prison. And of course, you know, it, it's, it's complicated. It's complex, you know, the reasons why guys come back to prison. I understand that. But a lot of times it's down to the choices that they make, the choices that we make. And if we try and do it in our own strength, we're probably going to fail. Repentance isn't just feeling sorry for the wrong that I've done. Though, of course, it's important to feel sorry um, because, you know, the Bible does say that godly sorrow brings repentance which leads to salvation. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's about being so convicted, so convinced 
by the greatness and the holiness of God, then I'm transformed by that truth. It's a complete directional change in my life from living for myself and sin to living for God according to His Word. And you know what? It's, it's a noticeable change. It's noticeable to those who are around us. They see the change that's occurred in our lives when we turn from our sin and turn to God. Why? Because we're different people. We're different people because we've decided to, to choose God's way. And he's, and he's began to do a new and a deep work within us. You know, repentance isn't something um, I did once uh, 30-odd years ago when I came to know Christ. It's a daily decision that I make. It's a daily decision that I make to follow Christ. It's, it's saying, today I choose the way of the cross. Today I choose to face the cross. I choose to take up my cross. Whatever God you have for me today. You know, I, I, I turn to you fully today. And, and you know, the, this isn't an easy choice, is it? It's, it's, it's not easy to, to follow the way of the cross. Because the pull of sin is so powerful, isn't it? And it's, it's attractive. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm prone to wander away from God's grace and follow my own way. You know, I'm in no way the holiest of men, but, you know, one thing that I found in meditating and memorizing Psalms like Psalm 51 what, what that's done for me is it's instilled in me, you know, the importance of keeping those short accounts with God. That, you know, when I do begin to, to drift uh, away from God's grace, that I look again at the cross. I look again at what Jesus has done for me. And, you know, as I described it um, a few weeks ago, you know, it's like that bungee cord that's toward tied to the cross and tied to me and pulls me right back. Because I realized that Christ, he offered his life for me. He became my sacrifice. And that is so powerful. It's so much powerful than sin, than the life of sin, if we'll just yield ourselves to it. So, you know, my, my praying goes something like this. You know, I just say, God, I'm sorry. You know, Lord, forgive me. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, Lord, search my heart. Search and know my heart. You know, I thank you that because of Christ, I find forgiveness. Lord, fill me again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Enable me to be a better person. Lord, lead me and help me to walk in your truth today. You know, just simple prayers like that that show, that reveal um, our hearts to God. You know, I, I heard somebody uh, say, say this once. Um, they said, as we face the light, we turn around to see the darkness of our shadow. As we face the light, we turn around to see the darkness of our shadow. You know, when we, by you know, an act of our will, make that 180-degree turn and we face God, we can't help but acknowledge the darkness in our own lives. And it sounds terrifying, doesn't it? You know, the idea of facing a holy God is just so awesome, and it is terrifying. Standing before 
that holy and righteous God has, has direct implications on, on who we are and what we really are, you know, that all the facades fall away, don't they? All the masks and what we try and portray to other people just melt away in the presence of a holy God. And, and David does this. You know, he acknowledges what sin has done in destroying his life in verses 3 and 4. He says, I am conscious of my transgressions, and I acknowledge them. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and faultlessness in your judgment. You know, when Isaiah was in the temple, he looked upon the glory of the holiness of God. And it says God's presence shook the temple. And Isaiah's response was to confess, you know, woe is me. Woe is me, I'm lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. He faced the Lord and he was undone because he saw the king, the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah sees God and he acknowledges his unworthiness before him. You know, and Isaiah and, and David understood the seriousness of their sin and their need of cleansing. I mean, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like Isaiah? Have you ever felt like David, you know, so burdened by your sin and the state of the world that you cried out, woe is me. I mean, have you ever felt for the twisted and broken state of our world that it made you so emotional to the point of weeping in prayer? Like Isaiah. You know, we acknowledge what we are and we confess this because we know actually only God can really do anything about it. He's the one with the power. He's the one with the authority. And so we turn to Jesus because we know that in Him alone we find mercy. Because through Him we find a way back to God. We trust in His mercy because through Christ, in Christ, we receive His grace. You know, some years ago, um, I was on staff at a, a, a church here in London. And um, one afternoon, I found myself as the only one in the building. And the doorbell rang, the doorbell of the church rang. And um, I answered the door, and it was um, Robert. Robert um, was a local resident who had never darkened the door of the church. He lived in a lo the local council estate but there he was at the door, and he, he was in a state. He, you could tell he'd been crying. He was very agitated and very upset. Um, and he asked to see the vicar. I says, well, the vicar's not here. You've just got me. So I invited him in, and we found a little room. Uh, we went into the room, and he just began to tell me his story, how his son had come home, and um, he, he'd found um, the... Robert had found cannabis in his bedroom, and Robert says, I just lost it. I just completely lost it. My son kind of ran into his bedroom, 
locked his door, and he says, I literally punched my, my fist through his door, through his bedroom door. I was in such a rage with him. And rather than do anything more, he says, I just ran out of the flat. I ran off to um, the main road in St. John's Road. And he, he said, uh, I was going to run onto St. John's, um, John's Hill, and I was going to th literally throw myself under a bus because I didn't want to live any, any longer. And instead of turning right, I turned left. And I came in front of the church to this church building, and I found myself ringing the doorbell. I have no idea why I did that, but here I am. And I, I just said, look, Robert is, you know, the Holy Spirit has led you here. He's led you here so that I could share the good news that, that there's life for you. There's life for you. And, and whatever has happened in your past, even one minute ago, is gone if you turn to Christ. And, you know, he, I'd speak to him for about two minutes, and he'd get up and he'd walk over to the door. He says, I don't... I can't be here. I don't know why I'm here. And I convinced him to sit down again. And then he'd get up again and go to the door, and I convinced him to sit down again. And this happened about four or five times in our converse, conversation. And I said, just said, Robert, why don't you just come to church? You know, it's a big enough church. You could sit at the back, and probably no one will ever talk to you. So you could just come. You could slip out anytime you want. And, and um, I was going off to America on holiday for several weeks. So I said, I won't see you, but why don't you come? And when I came back, um, I was in the evening service, and there was Robert. And I said, Robert, you come? He says, yeah, and I've signed up for the Alpha course. And in, he went through the Alpha course, went on the Holy Spirit weekend away eventually. He came to know Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit. And he's been such an evangelist, doing healing on the streets, approaching his friends and whatnot all around Battersea and telling them about Jesus Christ. But we've spoken a lot together since then, and he would often tell me of the frustration and disappointment that he had in himself when he failed and when he struggled with sin. And he, he kept reminding me, he said, Rob, but I, I know what you used to tell me. You always tell me this, that, Robert, it's, it's actually only about grace. It's all about grace. And... And so I would say to him, look, yes, you will struggle, but because of the grace of God, you don't deserve it, Robert, but God pours his grace, his favor upon you. And, and that's what gives you the power to take on whatever life throws at you today. And you do that every day for the rest of your life because it's about relationship with God. So, you know, what are the, some of the truths that we can take away from David in Psalm 51? I've got three, and um, I'll try and be as brief as I can. So the first one is, when we sin, we sin against God. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and faultless in your judgment. And you're probably saying to me, well, um, how could David say to God? How could he say after sleeping with Uriah's wife and then killing him, against you and you only have I sinned? Well, that's because sin by definition is vertical. The horizontal things that we do to other people, they're horrible. 
And, and I guess you could say, it would be right to say that we sin against one another because, because they are horrible and they are wrong. But ultimately, the thing that makes sin, sin is its vertical factor. It's disobeying God's, God's law. It's denying God's rightful place in our lives. It's denying God's authority and the fact that um, it's his, actually his right to tell you what to do as your creator. So when David says against you and you only have I sinned, he, he, he's not saying that um, I didn't wrong Uriah by killing him. I didn't wrong Bathsheba by raping her. I didn't wrong the baby that came as a result of that. I didn't wrong the baby uh, um, by causing its death. He meant the terrible thing here is that ultimately I've rebelled against God. I've rejected God as the source of my true joy and I've scorned the word of God. This is what Nathan said to him when he came to him and pointed the finger at him and said to him in 2 Samuel 12, why have you despised the word of God? That's what Nathan said. Nathan didn't say, why have you killed a man and why have you raped a woman? He said, why have you despised the word of God? So David comes to realize from the prophet that the worst thing that has happened here is that he has despised God. And then secondly, another truth is that God's love and forgiveness stand forever. Purge me with hyssop, verse 7, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Throughout the Bible, the hyssop branch um, was used to sprinkle blood, the calf's blood or goat's blood to represent purification and cleansing. Because of the blood sprinkled, they received mercy and not death. So David knew that, that God was righteous. He was a righteous God who didn't take sin lightly, but he also knew that he was a merciful God, steadfast in love, and that his steadfast love endured forever. You know, God loves us so much that he finds a way to, to show mercy. He show, finds a way to show love, even when we don't deserve it. He passionately pursues us in love. Because love is in his nature. Every word of scripture was given because he loves us. Every good thing that we have in life is because he loves us. The fact that you and I have air in our lungs is a miraculous demonstration of God's overwhelming love and faithfulness to us. And the fact that we have such a depth of relationship with a perfect and a holy God reveals his heart of love for us. And then thirdly, the story doesn't end with just being forgiven. Verses 12 and 13, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted and return to you. So, you know, one of the coolest things about this psalm is that David says what will happen 
in his life once he's restored. God's not interested in just tidying up his life and making him a good person. He recreates him. He fills him with his spirit in order to go and tell the good news to others. Isn't that amazing that God would do that? You know, Paul says that, that we are God's spokesmen, spokesmen and that God makes his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know how fickle I can be. And yet, God uses earthen vessels. He's got this treasure in earthen vessels to go and share the good news with others. You know, not only does God save us and restore us, he says, now I'm sending you out with the good news. You know, David's job wasn't done after he'd been brought back. Once he was brought back, he then had that passion to go and tell others about the love and the mercy that he had received. So when we sin, we're reconciled, but our story doesn't stop there. We're then given this high calling, as Paul puts it, as ambassadors of Christ, as ministers of reconciliation. You know, we have good news, good news to share. Amen? As Josh and Sarah come up, um, we're just going to, to pray. So um, can I just maybe ask everyone to stand? Would that be okay? And let's just, you know, let's just stand in God's presence. Let's just get that sense of God's holiness, His righteousness. But also, let's just rejoice and let's just bask in His mercy and His forgiveness, for His favor, for His goodness over us, because we're in Christ. And that old stain of sin has been removed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate that in a couple of minutes as we take communion. That's what we're signifying, the shed blood of Jesus, His broken body for me for my sin. I don't know where you are this morning, but maybe, maybe you're where I was all those years ago in that field when I felt my knees and I cried, help God. Maybe you don't have the words quite this morning, but you can cry help. And God hears your prayer. He hears that prayer. He hears your heart's cry. Or, or, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while and yet, you know, those old habits have begun to creep back into your life. And, and you've made some wrong choices. And you too need to cry out to God this morning. You need to cry out and just say, help. Help, God. You know, I'm helpless, God, and I need you. And so just, just let me pray. Yes, God. Thank you, God. We just receive from you now, God, and God, we confess our need of you this morning. And we thank you for your unfailing love. We praise you that right now we can receive your mercy. Thank you for your steadfast love, for your faithful forgiveness. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for that abundant mercy, that 
Lord, we know we don't deserve. Lord, pour it down on us this morning. Pour your mercy and your grace on us this morning. Jesus, we praise you for that. You made this mercy possible. You made this love possible by forgiving us. Thank you for your blood shed for our sins. And God, we pray for people we know right now who don't know mercy and forgiveness. We pray, Lord, that they would know it as we go and you send us out and you, to share this good news with them. Lord, we lift them before you. Yes, God, we thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.